Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. All right, go to Acts chapter two. We're gonna look here at Acts chapter two, a couple of passages, a few passages of scriptures. Now, in the beginning of Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit is poured out at the festival of Pentecost. Um, is what we know the day of Pentecost and the disciples and the apostles and followers of Jesus are in the upper room and they're all in one accord. It must've been a really big Honda. Um, just kidding. <laughs> Pastor Joe, wah, wah. but they were all of one mind, one spirit, and they were praying together and the Holy Spirit fell from heaven and they began to speak in other tongues. And it says that um, Peter stepped forward and gave the very first sermon of the church. And, and in this sermon, Peter is declaring publicly that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior, that he is Lord and the Messiah. And if you look back to what we've learned the last couple of weeks in a private conversation between Jesus and his disciples, Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? And they say, Jeremiah, Elijah, one of the other prophets, John the Baptist. And then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter discloses in that moment to Jesus that he is in fact the Son of God and the Messiah. And Jesus says, upon this rock, this truth, this revelation, I will build my church. And then fast forward to the day of Pentecost, Peter is declaring publicly what he disclosed privately. And it says that 3,000 plus were added to the church that day. It's an incredible launch day. And so they weren't just celebrating Pentecost, which was a celebration of the harvest from the Old Testament, but now the church is birthed and they are celebrating a new harvest of souls of lives, which if you, there's this conversation Jesus has in the book of Matthew with his disciples and he's looking at the crowd and he's, he looks at the crowd and he tells the disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers into the field because the harvest is ripe. The harvest happened on Pentecost Sunday with 3000 plus coming into the church. The church was birthed that day. Now, when you look here in chapter two, verse 42 through 47, we see what happens next. And it says, all the believers devoted themselves, say devoted, say it like you mean it, devoted. devoted, come on, devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. It says a deep sense of awe overcame them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Says all the while they were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Guys, think about that. 
Each day, people were added to the church and not just added in transfer growth coming from one church to another church because there was no other church. This was the church and each day, God was adding to the church those whose lives were being transformed and whose lives were being changed. And and in this point, the gospel had not yet went to the Gentiles because Jesus had gone to all the world, but it hadn't got to all the world yet. So, so the gospel is just going to, the, to uh, God's people, the Jews at this point. And, and you know, you gotta think about here in America, like, and especially in the South, like we are in the Bible belt in the South. Would you agree? And I'm pretty sure Tennessee is the belt buckle of the Bible belt, right? Because everyone's, you know, gone to church, been to vacation Bible school as a kid, maybe done Sunday school, heard Bible stories, but you have to think about the transition in life that's happening for these new believers, that they have grown up in Jewish tradition and following, believing that the Messiah was coming. And now they shift in believing that the Messiah has come and he is in Jesus And so they are in some senses at times ostracized maybe from their family or other community members. And so now they are forming a new community. And when you look in your Bible, maybe in mine, at the top of this chapter, it says that the believers formed a community. So in the process of the church being birthed, there is a community that is forming from all these people who are now having to to, to walk in a different lifestyle in a different way and follow different life patterns. And you know, depending on what and who you read, some scholars say that within the first seven years, the church grew to 100,000. That's really, really fast. Like in the first year and a half, we've grown to about 150, 175. I couldn't imagine in the next five and a half years, six years, us growing to 100,000. Your boy would need some help. All right, I'm gonna take a sabbatical. (laughs) Jen, you got it. You're in charge, right? You're in charge. You got it. But just think about that. And now, granted, when we think American church, we think one location, right? But this isn't just one location. This is across communities, in homes, in temples, 100,000 people. But that is still a healthy, growing church. And so I want us as Avenue Church to look at, at what they did right. And we see... Luke saying this, that they devoted themselves to some things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, the fellowship, sharing in meals, Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And so the church is meant to be done together. By yourself, you are not the church. Together, we are the church. By yourself, you are a Christian. But when you are together, you are the church and there is strength and there is life and there is vitality in that. And so we see that they get together on some things. And so the church today, that that we study God's word together. Look at your neighbor and say, together. Okay, now look, devotions are great. Like the YouVersion app, the Bible app has just changed everyone's like quiet time, devotion time. Um, but it's also way easier to get distracted. Anybody else? Like I start my devotion and then I get a notification on an email. Let me just check that real quick. Anybody? Just me. Okay. But there's one thing when we are studying God's word alone, 
But there's a whole nother perspective that comes when we study God's word together. Because what happens is the Holy Spirit reveals something in the word to you based off your life experiences. And you bring someone across the table and you're studying it together. You get their life perspective and what the Holy Spirit is sharing with them. So you come together in small groups to study God's word together. But then we come together on Sunday mornings and we study God's word together. I hope that you're just not coming and listening to a sermon and then going home. But I hope that you are taking um, a sermon goodie bag, (laughs) a sermon to-go box with you and you go back and you process what you've heard on a Sunday morning. That maybe it's through a conversation with somebody you attend with, but you are processing and you are studying God's word how? Together. Let's try that again. You're studying God's word how? Together. Together. And so they studied God's word together. But then they also do life together. The English word that they use here is fellowship. And that's actually where I'm gonna come back and spend the majority of this message is what does it look like to do life together? What does it look like to have fellowship? And it says that they shared meals together. It's like church potlucks aren't a new thing. Anybody remember those? It's like those were the greatest. And then when I came on staff, um, and I got to know more people in the church. I knew, I knew whose casseroles to stay away from, right? And whose desserts to go to. And like, you know, some of you younger folks, you, you will never experience the joys of a church potluck to where it's like you're eating cold casserole, right? It's like you try to keep it warm, but it's not quite there. And so um, there's, but there's just something powerful about sharing meals together. And even if you look at Jesus's ministry, right, guys, if you read the Gospels, Jesus is all the time going to eat with somebody or he is on his way from just eating with someone. There's something powerful about breaking bread together. And it says that they didn't just share meals together, but they shared the Lord's Supper. So they took communion together. And communion is kind of a modern word that we use for the Lord's Supper and really what that is that, that, that the disciples experienced on the last night of Jesus's ministry before he was arrested, he shared with his disciples the final Passover meal. And we don't call it a Passover meal. We call it communion or the Lord's Supper. But this is something that the disciples had been doing their entire life. And every time they took the Passover meal, they would think back to the Old Testament covenant that God had made with his people. Now Jesus is shifting their perspective and saying, look, as often as you take this, because he knew they would continue to take this meal. He says, as often as you take this, remember me and the new covenant that is made by my blood that is poured out. And so the new church, New Testament church, continued this probably more often than what we do now. That every time they had a meal, at the end of the meal we even know, that they would take communion and remember the work Christ did. And so... They took communion together and then they also prayed together. And so we see these things that the church does and the church grew to 100,000. And and, and I think there's something to be said about that. Even praying together, the church in Acts 1 and 2 started out with a prayer service that they were all in one accord praying together. And then the Holy Spirit fell. And then we see again in Acts chapter four, after Peter and John have been arrested and and then they they get out and they're, they're walking away just because they got, you know, 
a beat down for preaching the gospel. It says that the believers came together in the house and they began praying together. And it says that the house began to shake and the Holy Spirit was poured out again and they were all filled again. That would be crazy. That's how Avenue Church started. We started about the third or the last Sunday of January in 2020 before COVID was even a thing. And we had pushed our launch date back. And so like, let's get the team together. And so every Sunday till COVID shut everything down, we got together. Matthew, who's our sound engineer now, would play a couple of songs on the acoustic guitar. I would do a devotion. And then we would spend about 30 minutes just in praying for you guys. Didn't even know you, didn't know who God was gonna send, but we were praying for you and for those yet to come, praying for the ministry opportunities that we would have. This church was built on prayer. And then we launched January 17th, 2020. And we didn't, we prayed, but it was more like a quick send one up prayer because it's about to go down. Anybody done that, right? It's like, it's about to happen. Let's pray real quick. And then we, we shifted from praying to having just a huddle moment almost just like a team huddle and a team rally. And over the course of a few weeks and a couple of months, you sensed um, everything just kind of shift. Like it was a little drier. It didn't quite feel the same because we had stopped doing what had got us to where we were at. So now every Sunday at about 8.10, before you guys get here, the team that is serving at nine o'clock, we're praying over this room, we're praying over our kids, we're praying for you, praying that, that you would experience God's unconditional love. And look, I want to encourage you. You don't have to be a part of the A-team, but if you want to come pray with us, come on. I won't turn you away. But we see the early church doing these things. But what I really want to focus on today and kind of go back to is this doing life together. Doing life together. And we kind of use it as cliche. Maybe a lot of churches say it. We say it when it comes to, to small groups. We believe that, that we grow stronger in community. We need to do life together. We're not meant to do life alone. All the cliches that we say. But there is so much truth in this, guys, that we see the early church benefiting from. And it's why they say that, that they devoted themselves to fellowship. He paints a picture of this in verses 44 through 47. It says, and all the believers, it says they met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy, all the while praising and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is right after. And then let's go over a couple of chapters, guys. Let's go to Acts chapter four. Very similar description. Verse 32, we'll start there. It says, all the believers were, what's the word? United. Were united in heart and mind. They felt that they owned, what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything that they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Think about this community, this community, that they were so committed to each other so committed to the cause of the church that they realized that nothing they owned was theirs. That nothing they owned was theirs because they were a part of this 
fellowship, this gathering, this community, that what they owned was theirs, was, was, was everyone else's. They sold everything and gave it to the church. Now, I'm not asking you to go sell your house. Some of you are like, I just bought my house. There's no way. On this market, the interest rates went up. Like it's just all, I'm not asking you to do that. But what if we shifted our mindset as a people that who we are and what we have, whether it's material things, whether it's gifting, whether it's time, everything that we have, and we come to this mindset that even though it's mine and I've been brought into this community, it is for the community. It is for the church because we repeated this a lot. First service didn't get it right so often. The church is not a place but a what? You guys did a little better. There were three of you. First service, there was no one. The church is not a place, but it's a people, right? And so what does it look like to live in this fellowship and community? And, and actually, the Greek word there, I have a hard enough time with English, so we'll try Greek, <laughs> right? The English word fellowship is actually the Greek word koanonea, okay? Koanonea, and it means a community, it means shared and intimacy. And when I think of this word fellowship, um, how it's used in church, it kind of has a shallow perspective, perception. How many of us have seen, or maybe we've been, bar, been a part of a church marketing where we say, come to this event, there's gonna be faith, food, fun, and Fellowship, right? It's kind of like toots, good fun, good food, right? But it's like faith, food, fun, and fellowship. And we almost just throw fellowship out there. It's like, just come, there's gonna be people. I know in my mind, and look, I did it as, as a executive pastor, as a youth pastor, and I've tried really hard as a lead pastor not to use this word fellowship because it just seems overused and seems really shallow. Anybody else kind of feel that? And when you read this word koanonea, it's actually deeper. It's, it's an intimate relationship. It's a deep relationship. It's a shared relationship. And when you look in, in, in like the Greek, the word intercourse stepped popping up. And I was like, that's weird. Okay. But when you think about that is how close this community is supposed to be. When you think about the relationship between a husband and a wife and even between Christ and his church, how intimate it is. That's how we are to live. And like looking at some of you right now, I was like, I don't, I don't, that's, that's real awkward for me. I don't do people, right? I don't, I, I don't know about getting close to people. In order for you to grow in your faith walk, you have to do life together. So when we look at this, you know, to me, Kwananea is much greater than fellowship. And I really think guys, in all reality, I think our, our community circles are getting smaller and smaller. And I think our relationships are starting to get shallower and shallower. Would you guys agree? That, that when you look at those who we do life with, they're fewer and fewer because the pace of life is getting exacerbated. It's just getting really fast. Our schedules are getting super full. So how do we live out this community? And, and honestly, when you think about your um, relational communities, here's, here's what I believe, guys, that our faith community should be the most prominent relational community in our life outside of our family. That's a good place to say amen. But it's hard to say amen because that is a convicting statement. 
that when you look at our circles of influence, who influences our life and who we have the deepest relationships, is it within a body of believers? I'm not saying it just has to be Avenue Church, but is there a small group? Is there a community of believers that you have deep community with? And I think it should be the most prominent relationship outside of family and maybe even family. And I know that may hit hard because we love our family. We, you know, scripture says that we have to honor our mother and father so that our lives may be long on this earth. But in all reality, some of our family relationships may be strained. And so we need this faith quantanea relationship to grow. There's even this story in, in kind of this little segue in Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus is preaching and he's inside the house and he's preaching and, and the disciples come to him and they say, you know, teacher, your, your mother and your brothers are outside and they need to talk to you. And he, he asks this question. He says, who, are, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he points to the disciples, those that do the work of my father. Those are my brothers and this is my mother. And so we have to understand that, yes, our family is important. But for some of us, our family is like on the other side of the country or the other side of the state. And so your faith community should be the most influential relationship circle in your life. And, and uh, let's just be honest. People may be hesitant to get involved in a church community because of all the hypocrisy we see. Anybody ever had those thoughts? Man, I'm not going to that church. It's just a bunch of hypocrites. Don't go there because you'll just add another one, right? Don't, and I say this all the time, please don't be offended, but that's true, right? None of us are living out the perfect life that we hold other people accountable to. But we wanna make excuses for how we're living based on what we see instead of taking responsibility for who we are and just going and getting plugged in. And I know, like one of the things I was so surprised about in this church planning like journey is the number of people that would come out of the woodwork with church hurt and disappointment and brokenness. And I know, like, I know, like that's real. And for those of you that have experienced those toxic religious cultures, my heart goes out to you. Like that's real. But I also know that there's also a lot of selfishness and pettiness involved, Right? When we have a hard time plugging into a church or jumping around to churches, sometimes we're just looking for everything to be just right, all the variables to be just perfect. And if it's not, it's not for me. So like real, real talk, I was doing a marriage counseling session with a couple in Jackson right across from my desk. And I don't even remember how we got on the conversation. But the, the, the husband was like, Pastor, I'm just going to be real with you. He called me Rev sometimes. Rev, I'm just going to be real with you. <laughs> and he's like, look, the reason why I didn't go, like we left the last church is because it, it was just too cold. And I was like, what, you mean, you mean like the people weren't nice? They weren't kind? He was like, no. I kept telling the ushers to turn up the, like, the thermostat and they never would. It was just too cold. And so sometimes we make decisions based on the most petty things, right? And I know it gets cold in here, right? I see people put it on jackets uh, because it gets really warm during worship. And then you guys sit down and get steel and it gets cold and I start sweating. So don't leave the church, just bring a jacket, please. <laughs> right. But I know like, like there's, there's real hurt, but then there's also some selfishness and some petty things that we can allow to, to creep into our life. Um, there's actually this book called how to find a church. Seven steps to becoming a part of a spiritual family. <laughs> you can get a self-help book about anything. And so step one is do your research, okay? 
find out where you're going to go. How many of you found us on Google? Right? Google's been really kind to us. Come because of Google, but stay. Thank you, Daniel Watson. See, he was first service. Come on, first service. Um, he's our SEO ninja. Uh, he broke in and just changed things. And so we want you to come because of Google, but we want you to stay because of community that you find. And so I've found this book. It says the first step is preparation. Second step is obviously you go for a visit and then so forth. The last step is this though. It is preserving through pain. Because when you're in a relationship with people, there's gonna be pain. There's gonna be heartache. And this is what the author says, Pastor Rick Harrington. He says, you will get hurt. I actually think this is part of God's plan for the church. Hard to believe. Though that does not excuse the ones who cause the pain. He wants us to learn to forgive and show grace. What better place to do that than in the community of faith? It says, this is where it takes true grit, a staunch stomach, and it's a test of faith. You need to stick it out. And when you've done this step, you found your spiritual family. Now look, I'm, some of you guys came from another church. I'm not saying you need to go back, but I'm saying get somewhere and get rooted and there's gonna be hard times. But when we work through those hard times and we work through forgiveness and we work through conflict resolution in a biblical way, you grow, they grow, and the church, big C, grows. It's a good place to say amen, right? Instead of just running. And so when we look at this um, and I think about this, the greatest illustration and the greatest model that I've seen of someone who just sticks it out is my wife's mother, my mother-in-law. She'll be 71 this year. She doesn't look it. She comes and visits every couple of months. She looks like she's about 55, 60. Um, but she has stuck it out. Her dad was a pastor and pastored the church she's a part of today. She's been a part of the same church she was in her like early teens, like just a child. Her dad pastored the church when it was the first United Pentecostal church of Adamsville, one stoplight town. She stayed with the church when it transitioned out of the denomination. And in 2006, when my wife and I were on staff as the youth and children's pastor, that church split. We stayed because of the kids we were leading. She stayed because of the people. Eventually, God called us to be executive pastors with the pastor that we had served forever. She served through two or three other pastors. Guys, the church, when I was on staff there, was 600 plus in a small town. It dropped to just right around 200, a little less. When people were leaving, she stayed. To this day, every Sunday, she has people at her house. She's fixing meals, she's cooking, and she's building community. She's 71, and two weeks ago, they had a kids camp at the church. They needed someone to make all the meals. She made all the meals. She has stuck it out. And, and I'm not discounting when God calls us in different seasons. I wouldn't be in Murfreesboro if that wasn't the case. But I want us to get to a place where we, you know, scripture says that, that when we put our roots down, that we bear fruit. And so how do we get to this place, guys? So how do we quantania? So I'm gonna give you some things, practical things. The first thing is this, is we just have to get together. We have to get together. We have to gather in temples on Sundays, here on Sunday morning, and then the early church gathered from house to house. Sunday should not be the only time that you're getting together with your faith community. It should not be the only time that you're connecting with people. If, if Avenue Church is your home, you should have the phone number or email of at least three to five other people. 
that you can connect with, that you can text, that you can call, that you can email, and they should have your number as well so that you can get together. Now, as a church, we do this, you know, being portable. We don't have a church where we can just meet. We set up here on Sunday mornings. Then in the fall, we're going to be launching our small groups again to where we're going to have small groups around like Bible studies, activities. We'll have a couple's group, a guy's group, girl's group, young adult youth group. will have all these things. It's an opportunity just to get together. You don't have to be a theologian or a Bible scholar to host or, or join a small group just to get together. And then we have to make room. We have to make room in our life and schedule. And I think this is where we have to challenge ourselves as a culture and society. You know, I love having people over, but I also hate cleaning my house. <laughs> right? I love, and so something like God's working in Jennifer and I in this season is like getting to a place where we can be comfortable having people over without feeling like our house has to be immaculate. Because you know what that is? Pride. Saying that we have to present something. Now, I'm not saying like, if you got drawers in the floor, you need to pick those things up, all right? But if you got dishes in the sink, just leave them. If people come over, it's okay. We gotta get to this place to where people are more important than, than a presentation. And we have to make room in our schedule for people, not just things. And that's so hard. And we have a Google calendar. We have a to-doist. We have calendar. Like we have all these things to try to order our schedule. But let's put some people in that schedule. Let's put some gathering time, make room in our schedule, but then we also, guys, have to make room at the table for people who are different than us, that think differently than us, maybe on the other side of the political line, should I dare say, from us, different church background than us, and Jennifer started her in-service this week, and they had a diversity training, and she had a really, really cool thought from the guy that came and presented, and, and one of the big words in education right now, in, in politics, and just in culture, is inclusion. We want to include people in things. And, and he said, we need to do away with that word. And instead of using inclusion, we need to use belonging. That we don't need to create space for inclusion because what that's saying is, look, I'm already here and I'm just going I'm, I'm, I'm to let you in, right? I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to let you in. But when you think of the word belonging, it means that we're all together, that there's no us and you, and I'm going to let you be a part of this. It is all of us together. We need to make room in our schedule and we need to make room at our table. We need to encourage each other. Encourage each other. Hebrews says this, to encourage each other as long as it is called today. Guess what today is? Today. It's a good day to encourage someone. I'm not saying, hey, I like your shoes. I'm not saying... I like your new haircut, not that kind of encouragement. But we are to encourage each other in the Lord as we're reading scripture and as you know what's going on in each other's life. Encourage them in what they're walking through. Encourage them in what they're challenging, like what they're being challenged with. Encourage and then share. We have to share our time, share our resources, share our relationships, understanding that everything we have is not ours. And then the last thing is serve. When we see a need, we fill a need. 
And I've said this multiple times. God's given each and every single one of you a gift in doing something well. Whether it's singing, whether it's opening a door, whether it's, it's serving coffee, whether it's hosting a small group, whether it's craftsmanship, hospitality, there is a multitude of spiritual gifts that each of us have. And God has given those to us to serve each other and to serve them well, because as you're serving each other, you're growing, they're growing, the church is growing stronger. And so we get together, we make room, we encourage, we share, and we serve. And when we do this, um, some things happen. The result is a growing church like what we see in, in the book of Acts. Three components of a growing church is this. A growing church is in awe of God's miracles. As we do our part, God does his part. And we share his test. Anything that you read in the Old Testament or the New Testament, anytime God does something, we have a step of, of obedience that we have to take first. But so many times we want to sit back and say, God, no, you go first. In order for the children of Israel to cross the Jordan River before the path was made, the priest had to step into the water first. And once the priest stepped into the water, he saw the next step. The miracle happened. And so as we walk in obedience, we see God's miracles and we get to just sit back and just be in awe. The second thing we see in a growing church is that uh, we're growing in favor with all people. Not just church people. But just think about, would you say that the, the culture's opinion on the local church is a positive one overall? Probably not. But what if we lived, guys, in such a way in community with each other and lived in such a way in obedience to God's word, in love, in grace, and in mercy that even those outside of the church favored us? I don't really understand what they believe. I don't really understand all that they're doing, but there's something about them that is different and I like it. How incredible would that be? And then finally, a growing church um, in salvations and transformations. It says that, that daily people were added to the church that were being saved, not just transferred, but being saved, people who do not have a relationship with Christ understand their condition and understand his goodness and surrender to his mercy and receive that life transformation added to the church daily. That's what we want to see. But it's not just my preaching and the worship team singing and the greeters greeting and the ushers ushing and the sound guy sound guying, <laughs> adjusting. It's not just all, the, but it is, it is you in community. When people walk in and they sense something, a koanoneath that's deeper, that's not shallow, that's not food, fun, faith, and fellowship, but it's something different that they want to be a part of, that they cannot help but be drawn to it and changed by it. So how do we get there? When we're a new church and we're, we're all new, we're still a young church, almost everyone is new. And Here's what I want. Here's what I want for you that you call, you, you have been attending Avenue Church for a while. I want you to move from saying your church to saying my church. I want you to move from saying y'all's church to our church. That if, if this is where God has brought you to get planted, I want you to know who's in the room. And so look at me, don't look around. It's about to get real awkward. You ready for it? Do you know, because most of us are creatures of habit. 
Most of you come to the second service. I recognize the faces. You sit in the, for the most part, the same seat, at least the same section. Do you know the people that are sitting around you? Do you know their names? Do you know where they're from? Do you know anything about them? Do you know the color of their eyes? That's creepy. You don't have to stare at that. <laughs> right? right? But do you know anything about them? Guys, I'm just as guilty. But if we're going to build community, we got to know who we're building community with. And so there's this episode of Friends where Chandler has a boss that doesn't know his name. And he calls him by the wrong name. And, and he's afraid to correct him. So he just lets it go. And it just gets really awkward, right? And some of you are like, it's, it's like that. Like, I've been coming to this church for too long and sitting around the same person. It would just be awkward to ask their name now, right? You think that. So I'm going to show you how it goes. So to start a conversation, you just simply say, hey, my name is Stephen. So repeat after me. Say, hey, my name is Slim Shady. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, don't play that after service, Matthew. Um, But you just say, hey, my name is. And then hopefully they will say what their name is. And if they don't, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't get your name. And then they'll tell you your name. Oh, that's so cool. I know another Stephen, right? Or you say, we're like, you live in Murfreesboro? How did you find out about Avenue Church? And so you just start asking questions and answering questions. And then you get to know the people sitting around you. And as you get to know the people sitting around you, you can connect them with a story in your life where you can share God's goodness in your life. And maybe... Even trade phone numbers. I know that's old. You know what? I just had a thought. Like dating apps are all the rage now. We just need like a church connection app to where you can answer all the questions and not have to answer all the questions in person. Does that make sense? But no, I'm going to make you answer all the questions in person. So here's what I want you guys to do. Come to church a little early. Get here. We have coffee. And it's not just so that you can have caffeine. But it's, it makes it easier to talk to people because you're like, I don't know what to do with my hands, right? And so we'll put a cup of coffee in your hand so you can do And then meet the people that are already here. Stay a little bit later. This is second service. You can stay and help us take down. I'm not going to be mad at you, right? You can help or take it another step further. On August the 14th, we're starting back up our starting point. used to be Growth Track. We will help you find a community within this church, a team to be a part of. We'll help you discover how God's created you to serve. And and really, it's like our A-teams is not just about what you guys do, but it's about who you get to do it with, that you have an opportunity to be known. uh, Because... Right now, we're at a small enough size that most of the time, we can notice who's in and out. But as our, as our church grows, we will really begin to focus on our A-teams that are serving so that we, we know where they're at, what's going on in their life. And we want you to be known. Maybe you're not ready to serve, um, but in the fall, we'll be starting our small groups back up. Would love for you to host a small group if that's something. And you think, well, I don't have a seminary degree. Neither do I. Elementary education, baby. Come on. All right, please don't leave. Okay, please, please stay. But you don't have to have special training. You just have to have a heart for people and a heart for God. And you don't have to create extra stuff. Just do things together. If you like drinking coffee, go to Just Love together. Go to Brass Horn together. Go to Starbucks together. Go to IHOP together. If you like reading books, pick a book and read it how? Together. If you like playing tennis, play tennis together. 
Go to the movies, go to the movies. You guys get it, right? If you don't want to host them, please join. We're going to have a small group on just like the foundations of prayer, foundations of faith. We'll have a couples group, a women's group, a men's group. It's so important, guys, that you begin to form relationships outside of this Sunday morning. Because life happens Monday through Saturday. I don't know if you didn't notice that, right? Not just on Sunday, and you need someone to connect to. And not just you, but who do you know? Who do you know that needs to be connected to do life together? That they're living in isolation? They're not connected to a church or a faith community? Who do you know that either we get them here or you encourage them to go somewhere else because we're kingdom over castles all day long, guys. We're building God's kingdom, not the castle of Avenue Church. But I want us to begin to grow together because as we grow, God's church grows. So let's do this in things a little bit differently. Um, close our eyes and let's bow our head. And I want to start here. I want to start for those of you who you know people. This message is kind of for you, but you're here, right? You, you see the value in it. But I guarantee you know people that are not connected to the body. Maybe they were for a season and they got hurt. Maybe they got selfish. Maybe they just got busy and they're trying to be a Christian apart from the church. Let's find a way to get them in a community. And we talk about empty seats from time to time. And empty seats, in my opinion, represent a space that we've made for someone to experience God's love. And as we make room and as we grow as a church, we will have more opportunity to do that. Google only reaches so far and only has so much influence. But your life and your story, guys, your devotion to this community, to God's word, has way more impact than Google, way greater lasting impact than Google. Who do you need to begin to talk to? Who do you need to begin to cultivate a conversation with to get them connected to the body so they can do life together? And I want you to see that person. I want you to, to see that person. In a moment, we're going to pray for them. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. And, and, and we're going to pray for that person and that they would, they would find their place in the body. And then maybe you're here today and you don't really have a relationship with the church because you don't have a relationship with the head of the church who is Christ, the bridegroom of the church, which is Christ. And that relationship can start today simply by saying, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. I turn from my life and I give you my life. I believe you died for me. You rose from the grave for me and my new life can be found in you. It's not all you'll say, but it's the beginning. And so I want to pray over those two things for those that need to be that you know and for maybe if that's you today. So Father, I just come to you, God. I thank you for your word, but God, I thank you for your church. God, that, that it was your idea, it was your plan for us to have a community to grow stronger together, to be encouraged, to be equipped, to be comforted, to be challenged. And so, God, we are here because we believe in this. We are here because we see the power of this. And some of us, we may need to, to step in a little bit deeper apart from fellowship, but into a deep intimacy 
with your church. God, we all know people that are disconnected. They're trying to do life alone. God, I pray that you would give us opportunities to encourage them to find their faith community. If it's Avenue, great. But if it's, if it's where they can find their people and their purpose, God, in your presence, that's all that matters. So God, give us opportunities. Give us boldness courage to be able to have that conversation, to be able to introduce ourselves even to the person across the aisle or behind us, just to share a name, a story, to get to know the people in this room a little bit better. And God, even if there's anyone in this room that does not have a relationship with you, God, I pray that right now, just by the power of your presence and your word, that they are repenting from their sin, turning from their ways to follow you. God, believing that the guilt and shame that they feel has brought them to this place and it is removed and replaced with your grace and your mercy and your love and your compassion. And that in this moment, your scripture says that that all the old is gone and all things are made new. So Father, we thank you for this day and your word and your presence. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. Bye. Bye. Bye.